Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning and welcome to Out of the Blue on Sunday 15th of October 2017. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 8.55 on your AM dial, or you can have a listen from our website, www.3cr.org.au forward slash Radio Blue, where you'll find a number of previously broadcast episodes that have been uploaded as podcasts. My name is Andrew Christie from Melbourne Polytechnic and Marine Care Point Cook, and today's weather is uh, absolutely gorgeous out there today. We're heading for a top of about 19 degrees, uh, very light winds, so very, very good conditions for getting out and about on our beautiful waterways. If you do so, be careful of those southerlies are just picking up a little bit in the afternoon, getting up to around 25 kilometres an hour or thereabouts. Today I'm joined in the studio by Caroline Esbenshade of Marine Care Point Cook. Good morning, Caroline. Good morning, Andrew. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. Very good. In today's show, we'll be covering a whole range of topics that are relatively close to home. Uh, in the marine space lately, there's been a lot to uh, happening with regards to conferences, seminars, activities, those sorts of things, and uh, attendees being literally everyone from highly qualified scientists right across to uh, lay people and volunteers. Um, so there's something in there for everyone at the moment in the marine space in Victoria. Stay tuned and we'll rip into it straight after these messages. Help Freesia support the rights of Indigenous Australians. They mean to save our culture and save our dreams, our footprints, dreams, our songline and keep our culture going strong. Of course, a lot of the Aboriginals, having been stolen, were put into state care and also others The recognition were... of what our people have been through in the last 200 years, the recognition of our culture in the last 40,000 years and the recognition of where we are heading into the future. Welcome to uh, Survival Day, Invasion Day. 223 years ago, the white man landed on our shores. Subscribe to 3CR and help keep Indigenous voices on air. Call us on 94198377 or visit 3cr.org.au. Subscribe now. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55am. 
Okay, I wanted to kick off the discussion today by having a bit of a chat about the recent Biodiversity Symposium uh, that was back on the 19th and 20th of August uh, this year. And the Field Naturalist Club of Victoria put that one on and um, they did a terrific job of getting this uh, very worthwhile two-day uh, symposium and seminar uh, happening. Um, I was lucky enough to score a, a Guernsey for that one and did a, a, a a presentation entitled The Importance and Impacts of Invasive Marine Pests in Coastal Marine Ecosystems. And that one was basically looking at some of the work that we had funded through what's called the Environment Fund of the uh, FNCV. And it was based on Sabella. Uh, Sabella Spallanzanii, for those uh, of our listeners who aren't sure, it's basically a giant Mediterranean fan worm is a, a good way of uh, describing it um, in, the, in the colloquial sort of sense. Uh, basically what you got there is this organism that has a long sort of a, a stalk and it's a quite an ingenious design it's it's a, a, what we call a polychaete worm so this thing is a, a big long foot uh, basically a foot if you can imagine a foot long jet black worm that basically it's a, yeah it looks it's pretty horrid looking critter when it comes out of its casing it looks um, like something out of alien films uh, it does it looks like something sigourney weaver should be doing battle with there's no doubt about that it looks quite hideous um so it's a foot long jet black worm but you don't see it like that normally what happens you, you only see them like that if you dissect them. Uh, what it does is it actually starts secreting a um, uh, like a mucus and it basically traps anything going past, whether it be bits of detritus, whether it be sand grains, all these things, and it binds them up quite tightly in this casing to protect it. It's almost like a little uh, a form of body armour for this critter. And at the top of it is what we call a bunch of radioles. It almost looks like a flower. Um, it's this, this gorgeous array of all these um, feeding tentacles essentially that it uses to uh, to grab stuff going past so yeah it's- I feel like it's it is we should be fair and point out that as much as we're describing it as something being out of an alien film and you know using the word mucus heavily it is actually quite pretty yes <laughs> like for an invasive species it's actually quite lovely it is yes yeah when you see them in their in their natural environment uh, of course using the uh, the weight of the water to support their their body forms those radials are very very delicate feathery type structures and they catch all the stuff drifting past but of course they are an invasive pest species and in some parts of the bay their their densities are ultra high so what we did was part of the environment fund they gave us a a generous donation of um it ended up being a a tick shy of eight hundred dollars to go out and basically research uh research this critter and see what sort of densities it was getting up to in point cook marine sanctuary and we did that with the uh, assistance of some of the students from melbourne polytechnic uh most notably joel pasnan who's um part man part fish uh, he, uh, a wonderful, uh, he loves getting out there and goes spearfishing from time to time. He, he loves the marine environment. He's currently doing a, a placement, uh, doing a work placement with Parks Victoria, I believe. So uh, Joel's a, a, a great dive buddy and a, a one of these guys that's got a, he's, he's only fairly young, but he's got a hell of a lot of experience in the marine world. He's one of these guys that can hold his breath for a, a ridiculous amount of time and uh, and does exceptionally well with his, um, his, his work. So he's um, uh, been researching these animals and what we've been finding is happily the densities out at Point Cook Marine Sanctuary are nothing much to write home about they're not huge Uh, we definitely identified uh, what you could call hot spots within the sanctuary 
And uh, we, we do see densities of them, you know, you, you go across 10 square metres and you might be finding one or two or five or six. Uh, but that really, in and of itself, it's not a whole hell of a lot to write home about. Uh, just because if we uh, cross over, um, move further over to the east at uh, Gempia at uh, Williamstown, um, which is a, a lovely um, seaside location for those of you that are uh, looking for a location to go today, go and check out the, the HMA. Mayas Castle, Maine, the Minesweeper, and you've got Pelican's Landing, a beautiful restaurant right there on uh, on Gem Pier. So, uh, with that that um, the densities of Sabella underneath Gem Pier, they're quite staggering. Um, we're literally talking hundreds per square metre. It's, it's basically this carpet. They form this forest there, and the, the the problem with Sabella, of course, is if you've got this invasive critter that's in the marine environment, what it will do is it will basically uh, take away. It will provide an enormous amount of competition for the local species, whether they be sponges, uh, conjavoy, the sea squirts, barnacles, all these things that are in the, in the game of filter feeding as well. Uh, so they are uh, uh, an interesting, um, uh, an interesting animal. They, we believe, they came to Australia originally from the Mediterranean, um, back in about the uh, the 70s or 80s, I think it was that the numbers really started getting noticed around the uh, the Geelong arm of uh, Port Phillip Bay, down towards Corio. Now, isn't there also a uh, and an indigenous species that's quite similar to the invasive one? Yes, there is. Um, it's what we call Sabella starte. I'm not 110% sure about the pronunciation for that one, but Sabella starte is, um, uh, it looks very similar. You've got the radioles, you've got the feathery uh, feeding tentacles, essentially, that it uses for filter feeding too. So in and of itself, they do look quite similar, but the thing to remember where you should never get confused between the two is Sabella um, has that big, long stalk. It's got the, the body that's covered in that, that case uh, whereas the other guy, he basically sits flush with the sediment surface and his body's b- buried below the sand or the mud. Okay, so visually they're quite distinctive. They are quite distinctive. Now, this is the problem when we start talking about, um, you know, uh, I, I guess citizen science. Um, don't get me wrong, it's absolutely fantastic. But before you get to the citizen science point of view, uh, when you're just talking Joe Average or, or Joe Citizen, who's out there uh, trying or Jane. to... Or Jane. Absolutely, yep. I've got a big gender bias there. <laughs> Sally won't be happy with me coming up next with Out of the Pan. But um, when we look at um, those, um, I guess, uh, the, the citizens out there trying to do their best, uh, the, the problem is you've got to be fairly sure that what you're removing from the marine environment is, in fact, the bad guy. And I see it time and time and time again, unfortunately, with the uh, the, the, the piers where people have gone fishing. And they've unfortunately, uh, there's still a lot of uh, what we call the 11 arm sea stars, uh, Coscanisterius muricata, for those that uh, care about the scientific name. Um, these things are a very sinister-looking critter. They're about the size of a dinner plate. Uh, they've got 11 arms and they're covered in spines. Um, some look at them and sort of think they, they they do look very different to a crown of thorns sea star, but they've got that, if you know what I mean, that sinister-type appearance. They're a native. They're not the bad guy. Um, they perform a, a pretty important role within the marine ecosystem. When we look at the, uh, uh, if you want to call it the bad guy in Victorian uh Southern, you know, Southern Australian waters at the moment. It's the Northern Pacific sea star, Asterius amarensis. Um, one's got five arms and gets about, you know, you look a big one would be about two hundred millimeters across. That's including the disc and the arms and the whole box and dice. The 
11 arms about the size of a dinner plate. So there's a major size differential there. And all you have to do is count the arms if in doubt. Um, the uh, Asterius, the Northern Pacific sea star, looks very similar to one of our natives called the zigzag sea star. That's mm. Uniophora granifera. In fact, that is why it took so long to detect these things in the Derwent River in Hobart, uh, where they first exploded and the populations to this day are monstrous. Um, they basically overrun the ecosystem. Um, the issue there is that uh, for a long time, people thought they were looking at the zigzag sea star. So the eleven, the um, sorry, the, uh, the the Asterius was hiding in plain sight until some uh, bright spark from the museum took one look one day and said, "Hang on, this is not Uniophora. What's going on here?" Did a bit more work and found, "Yep, this is in fact an introduced uh, pest species from the uh, from the northern Pacific around you know waters of uh, Japan and Korea. That's that sort of area of the planet." And uh, yeah, the the rest is history, and it's basically overtaken the uh, the environment. So. Um, happily, um, to cut a long story short, the uh, the, the Sabella uh, pleasantly surprised that it, it uh, the, the whole reason we put the grant in in the first place was because we encountered some of these hotspots and the densities were quite high and thinking, oh, this could be problematic. Are they set to overrun the area? Um, and they didn't. Um, Northern Pacific sea stars have come and gone. I was out with Sandy Webb a couple of, um, oh, about 18 months, two years ago now, and we found a very high concentration in one particular area of Northern Pacific sea stars. They've since moved on. I was in the water only yesterday at Point Cook and only saw one of them. So it's one of those things where you do get a bit of a, a boom and bust type uh, cycle going on, I, I guess, in terms of numbers. Now, at this conference that um, it came up, they're talking about the Sabella. Um, were you also talking about, you know, invasive species in a general sense of management and how to approach them? I mean, I know through our research with doing the grant for the um, Undaria, that while it is an invasive species, it's actually fulfilling a niche that's been vacated with a loss of density and other algae within the environment. So are they doing like a one solution, you know, whether or not it fits for everything just to remove everything? Or are we considering how some of these new species might actually be benefiting yeah, it, it's a it's a great question and a, a beautiful segue into the next uh, the next point because in addition to the biodiversity symposium that ran in August uh, in September only recently September twelve to fifteen in Melbourne we had the third ANSPAC workshop on biofouling management for sustainable shipping. Now biofouling, of course, is fundamental to how a lot of marine pests get introduced to southern Australian waters and indeed right across the uh, right throughout the planet. Um, it, it's it's the biofouling. It's um, you know animals or plants hitching rides on ships and being introduced to uh, different uh, regions of the world. And John Lewis is a very well credentialed guy who's been doing a hell of a lot of work in the in the bio um, I suppose the bio fouling sector and in, looking at invasive marine pests. And John was actually at the FNCV conference and I got chatting to him over the lunch break. Now I will point out for those of our particularly our younger listeners, our uh, our students. And, and that sort of thing, who are considering going to these conferences. Uh, one thing that is absolutely uh, beyond dispute is that the conferences these days are pretty damn expensive. Um, the, uh, the the one on biofouling management um, was, uh, I didn't go to it as much as I would love to have gone, uh, was $700 odd dollars. Um, now, remember too that if you're a student, the rates are often 50% of that, so you might be stumping up only 350 or thereabouts. Uh, when I say only, it's a hell of a lot of money, yes. 
Where the conferences are brilliant is you're getting out and you're networking. That is the single, uh, one of the best pieces of advice I've ever had, just to go off on a bit of a tangent for a moment. Ross Ord at the um, Aqua Ed, uh, was at the Aquafest conference in Hobart way back in 2002. Incredible to think it was 15 years ago when I was first with uh, NMIT, Northern Melbourne Institute of TAFE's Aquaculture Program, before it uh, was re rebadged at Melbourne Polytechnic. Uh, he said to us from the very outset, look guys, the number one thing you can do, yeah, get all your show bags and get all your materials and concentrate on the, the content of the conferences and symposiums and all the seminars that you attend. That's great. But the most important thing you can do is talk to people and get out and about and do the networking. And that's that's crucial. So just a, a little bit of advice, a little take-home message for our younger listeners uh, this morning. But John Lewis um, is a guy who uh, was going very much along with your line of thought there, Caroline, and saying, well, okay, we've got marine pests, we know that, but bottom line, how much damage are they doing? Uh, and and is it fair to basically, uh, you know, consider the entire Southern Hemisphere or do we have to be a bit more discriminatory than that and look at, say, for example, Point Cook Marine Sanctuary? Now, the issue um, that Caroline was alluding to before with Undaria is that uh, the thing that has become uh, deadly apparent to us, very, very obvious to us from the, uh, from the work that we did at Point Cook Marine Sanctuary, was that it was really the sea urchins that are having... Uh, they are the, the number one ecosystem shaper as far as we can see at the moment. Their numbers are through the roof. Which They're, are not invasive. Which Those are not are invasive. Natural. Correct. Heliosidaris erythrogramma is the purple sea urchin. And that's basically go, going through at the moment and almost strip mining. It's basically bulldozing a lot of the micro, the macroalgae, as we call them, the kelp species that are native to Point Cook and, and uh, going through and grazing the area. Um, overgrazing, essentially, is what we're talking about. Imagine a whole bunch of basalt reef type boulders that are basically bare and covered in sea urchins. And that's what a good chunk of the marine sanctuary looked like when I was in the water only yesterday. Today. So we know it's an issue and Parks Vic are doing some work in that space. Um, Mark Rodrigue, uh, Paul Carnell from Deakin Uni and the uh, the Blue Carbon Lab is uh, doing quite a bit of work on that at the moment, looking at ways of uh, mitigating the impact that the sea urchins are having. The thing that really stands out is that the Undaria are one of the very few macroalgae that grow in the presence of sea urchins. And I have seen far too many life forms, be they tiny weed fish or big leather jackets or flathead or fiddler rays, clearly using the Undaria for shelter. In addition to that, we've got snails and we've got caprellate amphipods and a stack of things that are presumably munching on it and eating it too. Remembering too that this is um, an edible seaweed. Um, it, now, the, the thing might be, well, if, you, if you've got a marine pest in a sanctuary that's edible, well, uh, if you can't beat it, eat it um, and take it out and start to harvest the stuff maybe might be the way to go. Um, the difficulty there that we have is that it, uh, it contravenes the National Parks Act, which means that you can't take things out of the marine sanctuary for profit. Now, I would love to see some, I don't know if it's possible at all, but I would love to see some sort of mechanism whereby people can take stuff out of the sanctuary, sell it for profit, but that profit goes directly back into the, uh, the, the preservation and conservation of the marine environment. Well, it sounds like we're having a fundraising dinner where wakame will be one of the main... uh dishes. Yes, yes. Wakami, um, of course, uh, if we if we did have a situation where we could harvest the urchins, um, yeah, you've got the urchin row. Now, the thing with the urchin row is they say, particularly urchins from barrens um, and purple sea urchins in general, the row isn't the finest quality you'll ever find. Um, that said, it's still quite tasty. Um, I've eaten sea urchin row before and it's, it's quite a, a, a lovely uh, food stuff. So I, I think there's quite a bit of work that needs to be done in that space. Um, 
John Lewis is basically saying, well, you know, uh, the, the marine pests, they're not from another planet. They, uh, they come from another country. They get here. They colonise the area. Most of them don't. Um, the ones that do, they basically get integrated into the ecology in some way, shape or form. Well, I think that is important to say because, you know, we are talking about the ocean. These are species that live in a body of water that is interconnected with every other body of water. It's not like, you know, how there are no snakes in Ireland sort of thing. Like, yes, they're they're all existing in one very large, but one, you know, connected body that, you know, the, the environment and the ecology is going to change over time. Actually, what I was just thinking is I'd really like to know, you know, fair is fair if we have all these invasive species coming into the Australian waters. Like, what uh, little ambassadors have we sent up to the Mediterranean? Yes, there hasn't. I don't know if there's been a whole hell of a lot from Australia to other parts of the world. The two that really stand out, uh, the marine example was a type of, um, now, what was it? Uh, it was a type of jellyfish that has gone ballistic in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, and that was a white-spotted jelly that uh, I've seen monstrous numbers of them over in the Swan River in Freeman- uh, around Perth, Fremantle mm. area. Uh, there, there, are, there are scores of them there, and, and that's the natural ecology. However, they've been introduced to the Gulf of Mexico as a result of shipping, and the, the, the numbers of this Australian jelly have just skyrocketed and have completely um, uh, started, again, really shaping that ecosystem. System to it to quite a detrimental degree, unfortunately. So uh, the other famous example was a bu- uh, was a terrestrial example: a bunch of um, uh, Australian wood chips making their way over to Osaka, Japan, and on board were some redback spiders. Ooh. So we uh, we made a fortune out of selling redback spider anti venom to Japan because they uh, they needed it. Oh. Yeah, pretty nasty example for our arachnophobes. Anyway, we might go to a song. Um, we're talking about marine care groups, Marine Care Point Cook and Jawbone uh, Marine Sanctuary Care Group. And over the other side of the boat by Morris, we've got Ricketts Point, uh, Marine Care Ricketts Point, of course, uh, one of the most active marine groups in the state. So uh, here's a, uh, a song about caring, Faith No More. That was Faith No More with We Care A Lot. Okay, uh, just off air, you're, sorry, you're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55 on your AM dial. Uh, just off air, Caroline, you were just talking more broadly about Undaria being a marine pest, but you think the issue is not so much removal necessarily as it is about um, management of the, the ecosystem proper? Yeah, and even the word management, I'm not sure if I like that because I feel like um, you know the environment was doing just a, just fine on its own until us humans went in and started mucking about with it. Yep. So yep. I don't know if I want to use management, but I think across the board, like looking at the ecosystems, like, so for example, if we were going to look at, you know, just Marine Care Point Cook, like how to uh, approach the issue of invasive species and also the uh, credible density and bloom of the number of sea urchins there are, I think when we look at how to approach those questions and those answers we need to think about not only are we going to remove them you know what are we going to do with them once we've removed them but also the safety of removing them and making sure it's done in a way that 
is going to have a long-term benefit and it will be sustainable like to you know be like oh every you know spring we're going to go out there and just pull out a bunch of sea urchins doesn't sound very feasible i mean the overhead cost and the time and the people and everything like that plus i mean who knows what kind of damage you're doing to the actual seabed in doing that and then you also need to research and be knowledgeable about the organism or else you'll end up in your efforts to try and i want to say remove the problem create a larger one like uh, japan has had with the nomura jellyfish you know they went through and were like well we've got this massive just almost clouds and swarms of the jellyfish and like the boats couldn't get through they were too heavy for the nets so they went through and cut them up but uh jellyfish are actually you know kind of a microcosm of lots of little organisms in one little group together so by cutting them up it's kind of like they actually created you know instead of saying like you had one jellyfish now you've got 10 because you cut it up yeah because those little polyps then you know breed and then next season you have twice or 10 times as many to deal with. So I think before any kind of management is approached, I think a better understanding of the organism and how it fits into the ecology is really what needs to be done first. So, you know, the first step is maybe like you did with uh, doing a review of the density of the Sabella within the sanctuary. Okay, well, now you know how many the numbers are, but what do you really know about the Sabella? Uh, Yes, yeah, that's that's true. One of the big things I was pointing out before, whatever you do, if you do dissect Sabella, remove it from its casing, you've got a foot-long worm. Some people look at that and think, wow, that's fantastic as bait. But uh, please don't do that because the fish come along and smash it and you get all the gametes being released and all that sort of thing as well. All right, we've uh, we've just about run out of time for this week. That was a pretty good synopsis there, Caroline. Thanks for coming into the studio today. Thank you for having me. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday, people, and stay tuned for Out of the Pan with Sally. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.